Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jacob Scrimpture and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rolling Hills. In today's message, you're gonna hear from Pastor Patrick as he teaches from 1 John chapter three. Our God is love. In today's podcast, you're gonna hear all about the great love of our Father and how that translates to our own lives. Now let's hear from Pastor Patrick. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 John. Easy way to find that is you can actually go to the back. Of it. You'll find Revelation, then start moving forward, Jude, then 3rd, and 2nd, and then 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 3 as we continue for a beautiful life here. Uh, 1 John is written by John, an apostle of Jesus, one of the original 12 followers of Jesus. He is an eyewitness to Jesus, and when he's writing these words, he's about 80 to 90 years old. He's outlived all of the other apostles. They are dead. He's the last apostle standing. And he is writing these words of instruction and encouragement to the church as he is nearing the Lord, taking him home. And when he writes here in chapter 3, it's amazing. He begins right off the bat and just worshiping about the love of God, which is beyond our comprehension, who literally calls us a child of God. And it's amazing of what he's writing about that. And then he talks about that we have this new identity of being a child of God and that we also are rescued and we have a a hope and we have a mission to invest in others because God and Jesus, of course, has invested so much in us. And that sounds fun, but in the middle and for the bulk of chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, he says that while we are on mission, we have this identity and we have this hope, we are in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. We're against this battle against the spiritual forces of the evil one, but more importantly, we're within a battle with the enemy within, the old self, the old sinful self that is still present. But we even have hope in that. John is investing, investing, investing in the church and instructing us. A beautiful life, you see, is one that invests in others. We are called to invest in others. Who is invested in you? Who is investing in you? Who is pouring their love, their life, their time, their talents, just their present? Who has invested in you or is investing in you? Just a few people who have invested in my life, and I am who I am because who invested with me? Miss Louise Miles, my kindergarten, first grade, Sunday school teacher. Miss Miles, never married, never had any children, but she had generations of children because she loved children and was an incredible Sunday school teacher and I was loved by Miss Miles. The church is a very safe place. My childhood pastor, Dr. Carrier, he invested in me by teaching God's word rightly and shepherding a church well. Carol Bomar was a spiritual mother to me. When my parents had separated and divorced and I would go Sundays by myself to church, Miss Bomar had me come sit with her and her family and she mothered me and loved me, so I was not alone in worship, and I appreciate her for that. Who has been like a spiritual mother or a spiritual father to you, or who is investing in you as your spiritual mother or your father? Mark Daniel, when I was a young adult, he was our associate pastor. He was a great encourager, and he encouraged me just to go for that crazy idea of working in the inner city, then starting an inner city ministry, and he was right there at the very beginning for Preston Taylor Ministries, and then Linda Knott. Incredible joy-filled servant of the Lord who ran a little mission center in the James Casey homes. And Linda Knott, I served underneath her, observed her joyful, self-sacrificial service, and she encouraged me to be a leader in ministry. And then 
my father of the faith, who I'm grateful is still with us, Brother Dave Warner. Dave Warner has been a father of my faith and been such an encourager and just serving alongside Dave and observing to how he shepherds well. The Apostle John tells us that we are to invest in others, and to invest in others, we live our new identity. This is who we are, this new identity. And right off the bat, at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, he just bursts into worship about our new identity here. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. When he says here, what great love, what great, that actually means of what country. You see, God's love is unearthly. We don't find this love normally on the earth. It is unearthly type of love. It is astounding. It is surprising. And it is a love that he has just lavished on us. We didn't earn it. It was just given to us. And his unearthly love is effectual. It has an effect on us and causes us it's part of the process of becoming a child of God. And then he says, that is what we are. In case we didn't get it the first time, we are children of God. That's not just a title. That's not just words on the paper here. That is truly our identity. And how do we become a child of God? In 1 John, the next chapter, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10, this is how he says the process of becoming a child of God. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, and I'll talk about this big word later on, the propitiation for our sins. And we can leave that verse up for a moment as I teach through this. In this is love, not that we love God. We didn't muster up the faith, muster up the love. We didn't come to God loving him. He loved us first. In fact, we loved self, or we loved the world, or we distrusted God, or we feared God, or we were absolutely clueless about our eternal state and how we were facing eternal damnation and separation from God. That's who we were, and we were really children of wrath, deserving of wrath, lawless, but yet in this love, he loved us first, even in that and he loved us so much that he sent his son. He sent Jesus on a rescue plan. And Jesus has this to say about his rescue plan in John chapter 10. I'll just read it for us. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy the evil one. But I have come. Here's that rescue plan. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. For the sheep. This life and this life to the full is to experience the very real presence of God, the author of life and sustainer of all things. To truly have life is to have life with God. And we do that through Jesus by having Jesus live the life we could never live. We couldn't do it. Jesus did it for us. Always in a right relationship with God as Father always in a correct and a right relationship with others, loving others and serving others and walking humbly with God as Father and obeying the Father. And then he laid down his life. No one took it from him. He willingly laid down his life because he lived for us and he died for us. 
even though he didn't deserve to die. He did nothing wrong, but yet he died in our place, took the punishment, took the wrath of God upon him. And that's where this word, big word, propitiation is in there. And he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I like to sum up things as simply as I can because I've got a very simple mind to remember it. This is what propitiation is. Big word, okay? Jesus bore God's wrath so we can bear God's favor. God's favor. All of our sins go on Jesus and he pays the punishment and dies as a rebel even though he never rebelled, dies as one who committed treason although he never did it. He dies for our sins and in exchange we get his perfect life, his perfect standing. We get the favor of God, the blessing of God, all because of Jesus, not because of self. And we get this when we realize that Jesus lived for us, died for us, and he rose for us. He proved it's all true. When he, when he was risen from the dead, the father saying, I accept my son's life. I accept my son's sacrifice. And death shall not be the final word because he is going to live and have eternal life and make a way. The way to come to the Father is only through the Son. And what we do is we turn away from trusting in self-love or the world or running from God. We accept the love of God when God makes us realize our state, and we trust in Jesus' faithfulness. We trust in Jesus' life. We follow Jesus. We follow his example as him as our Lord. That's our identity. I hope you have that. If not, cry out to God and just accept it and trust it. This is it. To invest in others, we live our new identity with hope, with hope. We'll find that in verses two through three. And what we hope for is this, John's going to say, what we hope for is the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, and we don't need to be afraid because when we're part of his family, it's going to be glorious. Truly, truly, it's going to be glorious. And we see this in verses two and three of chapter three. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. That is that hope. The Son of God appeared the first time in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and he lived for us and died for us, and he defeated Satan in that. And he's going to appear a second time in his resurrected, glorified, powerful body. Jesus is the first one to have the resurrected spiritual body that's meant to last forever. He will come with that. And then we will receive what Jesus has, resurrected, glorified spiritual bodies. And this is our hope. This is our hope. And this is why we purify ourselves just as Jesus is pure, because this is what's going to happen someday. We will be absolutely pure. One day when Jesus returns, we will be free of sin. No longer a battle against sin. We will be pure as he is pure. We will be like him. We will no longer experience suffering and sickness anymore like that. We will be mentally free of false beliefs, because we will know God fully and be in God's presence at that moment. We will physically will have no more weaknesses, no more pain, no more diseases, no more heart disease, no more cancer. I'm sick of hearing about cancer. No more death. That is our hope when Jesus returns. And then we'll be filled with, animated by the Holy Spirit, and given that spiritual body meant to last forever when God makes all things new. And then John shows that to be a child of God, 
with this hope that Jesus will come, will come again someday. We are in a spiritual battle while we wait for that day. To invest in others, we live our new identity with hope in the midst of a battle. We are in the midst of a battle, okay? Even though we have this hope, we are these children of God here. And what he's saying in the spiritual battle is we're purifying ourselves, although we're not completely free of sin, we have a battle against sin. And as believers, as Christians, we will stumble. It made it clear early on in 1 John, Christians do sin, but they don't live in it habitually, unrepentantly. They don't live in that. That's not who they actually are. And he's going to say here in verses 4 through 9, we can't because we got the Spirit of God, the seed of God living within us. And we have hope in this as well. Verses 4 through 9, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him that's in Jesus is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. I like how John defines sin right at the beginning. Pastor Nick last week shared, rightly so, that sin is to miss the mark, miss God's standard, or to miss God's path and wander off of that. That is the actions or the inactions of sin. But John gets right to the heart of what sin is. He defines it in this way. He says that sin is lawlessness. It is active rebellion against God that originates from the heart. To be a lawless person, active rebellion against God, and it all originates eternal, internally from the heart. The first rebel, the first lawless one, was the devil. The devil was. He rebelled before the creation of Adam and Eve. He was present in the garden to tempt Adam and Eve to, for them to become lawless ones and to not trust God. Tempted them with that. He has fallen angels who work with him, also called demons. They work to tempt us. Morally, they entice us to sin. Mentally, they assault our minds with intellectual errors. Physically, they, uh, they attack our bodies with diseases. Satan is called the spirit of the world. Very powerful, very cunning, very crafty. He's the father of lies, and I like this. The devil's work is to sin. That's his activity. His devil's work is to sin, but there's the stronger man. The greater man. Jesus' work is to save. Jesus' work is to save children of God. The devil tempts us to sin. Jesus intercedes. The devil assaults our mind. Jesus brings the truth. The devil assaults our bodies. Jesus heals. The devil condemns. And Jesus says, in them is no condemnation. They are hidden in me. They are forgiven. They are free. Jesus saves. John then writes here, he writes again and he writes again, he reminds us that the devil is powerful but he's defeated, but the devil has not ceded the war, he has not surrendered, he is still active. The chains that bound us when we believe in Jesus, they're broken, we are freed, we can walk righteously with God, we're no longer a slave to sin, we are no longer a lawless 
person. We trust in God. But John does write that no one who lives in Jesus continues to sin, has either seen him or know him. He says that the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. No one born of God will continue to sin. We cannot go on sinning. You see, Christians sin, but they don't live in it. They stumble, but they don't unrepentantly, habitually continue in sin because we are not able to do that because we are born again. We have the seed of God or the spirit of God living within us to help us in the midst of that. We battle against the devil. We battle against the fallen world. But the biggest battle is against our old self that is present, our pre-Christian self. It's weakened, but we're not free of it this side of heaven. And I love what Paul has to say about the battle against sin. I'm going to get real practical here, I hope, and explain this verse in Romans 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh you will die. That is the non-Christians, and that's very sad. They're going to die when they live according to the flesh, their sinful, lawless self. But if by the Spirit, this is the Christians, this is what we do, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, have that abundant life that Jesus is talking about. It is by the Spirit, though. How do we do this? It is by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only adequate power to battle against sin, that old self. Uh, it is the seed of God, it is what we have within us. But how do we access, how do we tap into the Holy Spirit? How do we do this? There are two, there's, we do this through spiritual practices, okay? Two main spiritual practices. It's the uh, meat and potatoes, it's the peanut butter and jelly, it's the uh, hamburger and french fries, okay? This is the standard spiritual practices that all Christians need to be very active in to tap into the Holy Spirit, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Reading God's word and prayer. Reading God's word and prayer. When you see a maturing, if you, when you see someone in the church like, I want to be like her, I guarantee you she's in God's word and she's active in prayer. That's it. There's no magic to it. It's, we can do that. Be in God's word. Be active in prayer. I want to illustrate it in this way. I have over here a bottle of water, and I actually am thirsty right now. And let's say, thinking about it's by the Spirit we do this. If I take this bottle of water, which I'm thirsty, I'm a little bit parched, I've been talking a little too much. You probably say amen to that. But if I start reading this bottle of water here, members mark, purified water. I'm glad it's pure. Mineral enhanced for taste. How do they get, what is mineral? Do they add sprinkle minerals in here? I don't really know about that. And okay, so it's purified water. It says here, purified by, what is reverse osmosis? I, I, need, I need a Wikipedia that or, or maybe do a, a search for reverse osmosis. So how does osmosis reverse anything here? What does that mean? And if I did that, does this do anything for my thirst? Just kind of just read it. No, what do I have to do? Why do I even grab this bottle of water? You've probably never read a bottle of water when you're thirsty. What do you do? You open it. You open it. Now, you might read it if you didn't hear that click. Then you're like, whoa, what's going on here? Whose who's funky mouth has been on this thing? I don't want to read it. But if it has that nice little click, you take a drink, right? Oh, now that's what I call some high-quality H2O. That is good. With that, okay, to take that drink. So what you do is you satisfy the thirst. You satisfy that quench. You drink the water. So when you read God's word, it doesn't just stay in your mind. 
It goes into your spirit. It goes down into your heart and is what your new self and really what the Holy Spirit is craving. What it does by reading God's word is you access the very spirit of God. You access the living waters that has an effect that nourishes your soul, that strengthens you by reading a God's word. And when you read God's word, then it's going to drive you to prayer. It's going to drive you to worshiping God and thanking God, communicating to God, knowing that God is present. And you can pray continuously, of course, when you're reading God's word, but you can pray when you are driving. You can pray when you are tempted, absolutely, knowing that God is present. Call out to God. Know he is present. Read God's word. Pray, not just for the sake of checking it off a list, not just staying in your mind, to quench your thirst, to taste and see that God is good and reading God's word what it does here the spirit of God it puts to death it puts that old self to death okay and this is what that put to death means to take away the power to act or exert force or to grow you put it to death you put it to death now when you try to put something to death if you're going to try to kill something guess what it fights back it's not going to die easily it fights back the old self unfortunately is not dead is not dead. And what you do is you're putting to death by God's Spirit through these spiritual practices the misdeeds of the body. What is that? That is your old self. And it's a desire to rebel. It's a desire to be a lawless one. It's a desire to mistrust God. Your old self knows you very, very, very well. Been with you a long time. Your old self is what the devil, it's the old self with the demons, it's the old self that the world speaks to. And when it says, when angry, do this. When wanting to celebrate, do that. Uh, this is what's lovely. This is what is noble. This is what is worthy of praise. Things that really should not even be in the light of day. But the world is speaking to your old self and enticing to sin and to be like who you really aren't. Trying to get you to stray from the path and be a lawless one. But by the Spirit, you put it to death. John Owen has to say about this verse, always, always, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. A way I wanted to kind of illustrate this is in this way. In our, in our, old, our former home that we used to live in, we had a holly tree that the previous owners had planted and they planted it too close to the side of the house. This holly tree, they got really big, and it's actually now kind of like brushing up against the brick. It had a bit of like a lean to it, just like it was about to topple over, and it was just not a good place to have a tree too close to the brick. So I decided to get my chainsaw. I like any excuse to run a chainsaw. Just ask my wife, ask the nurse practitioner who stitched up my legs. I'm more careful now with chainsaws, but what I did with that holly tree is I fired up that chainsaw, baby, and I cut down like kind of the upper section, toppled it, cleared out some branches out of the way, cleared some of the dirt of the way, and I was like, I'm getting rid of this holly tree. I never would have planted it here, and I took the chain, not too close to the dirt, but as low as I possibly could get, and, and toppled it over. Hauled that thing off for the brush pile pickup. I left like less than half of an inch of a stump off of the ground. I got rid of that holly tree. It's done. And this is in the front of our house. We, we always kind of entered in through the garage or the side entrance. Next spring, I just happened to be walking down the side, our front of our house, going up the front steps, and I look. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There are branches growing out of that thing. There's these little shoots, these little branches with holly leaves on it. It's not dead. 
So I go in the garage, grab some lopping shears. I cut those branches, I throw them away. And guess what happened next spring? More branches. I cut them away and I throw it away. A holly tree is called a deer-resistant plant. You know why it's called a deer-resistant plant and why people like that? Because for one thing, those leaves are sharp, especially for a, a mature one, right? Deer don't want to bump up against that and definitely not a human being, so they're kind of good to put near your windows. So you don't have someone all creeping on your house. When the holly branches in there, they're thorns and they're sharp, but they do produce these beautiful red beer, berries. Has anyone ever made holly tree jam for you at Christmas time? No. Why? Because the berries cause indigestion. They cause upset stomachs. They cause diarrhea in a human. It kind of sounds like a a Pepto-Bismol commercial, okay? And it can happen to deer as well. Deer don't eat those berries. I think squirrels do, but squirrels are crazy. But it's kind of a deer-resistant plant, all right? But what happens is that holly tree, that stump, if I didn't cut away at those branches, you know what would have happened? It's just going to grow again. It's just going to grow again, and it's going to be an evergreen but thorny, and it's going to produce poisonous little fruit. That's your old self. That's your old self. Always be cutting away. Always be hacking away. Don't give opportunity for your old self to start growing again. Don't feed it. Don't water it. Put it to death by the power of the Spirit. Always be killing sin, or it will be killing you, and that's what we do as Christians in that. To invest in others, you see, live our new identity with hope in the midst of a battle for the conclusion here, God's mission. We are sent on a mission, on God's mission in the midst of the battle. We are God's children. That is who we are. We have this hope. Jesus is coming back. We need to purify ourselves because he is pure, and that's truly who we are going to be someday. And we don't just continue in sin we stumble we fall into it but we hack away and we fight it with the power of the holy spirit and with one another in god's word and that but our mission is to walk in a right relationship with others and to love one another we read about this in verse 10 and we kind of see the negative side john is saying this is how you see within the church especially those false teachers who really is a child of god or unfortunately who's a child of the devil verse 10 This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. That sounds like a heavy metal band. Children of the devil, or I guess death metal. I don't know. Children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and their sister. Humanity is truly divided into two people groups, not one not hundreds. So spiritually speaking, humanity is divided into this. There's children of God, and there's children of the devil. One father is divine, the other father is diabolical. God is not the father of all. He's the creator of all. Absolutely, we are all created in his image, but the majority has marred that image and separated from God. God is the father only of those who trust in the Son, and are now children of God. Our mission is to walk in a right relationship with God as God's children and to love one another, and we want to rescue. We want people to come out of being a child of the devil and become a child of God. Jesus has this to say in John chapter 13, and we got the verse coming up for this. A new command I give you. When Jesus says I give you a command, I'm going to listen. I'm going to pay attention to this. A new command I give you, and I love this command. Love one another. 
as I have loved you. A self-sacrificial love. A love that wants the best for others. A love that walks with the Father and loves everyone always and loves the people of God and prays for and seeks after to seek and to save those who are lost, even, this, even willing to lay down your life for others. Love one another as I have loved you, and Jesus helps us do that. So you must love one another. And then he says this here in the next verse. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how they know that we are a disciple, a child of God. The way we love the children of God, the family of God, how we love one another. We invest in others. We love others. Who invested in you, but now who are you investing in? Who are you helping raise up in the family like a, a, a child of God in the family? And, it, and of course, it could be a five or a ten-year-old, an actual child, but it could be a 40-year-old who's a child of the faith. Who is a new believer? Who are you going to help mature to understand how to follow Jesus and love them and teach them in the right ways? At the conclusion here, please, 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 and you have these cards with you. I want you to fill out these cards if you haven't already and take them to the table. I want more information about, or I do want to sign up for this here. We would love to have folks in our first impressions. I love the fact that we have first impressions starting in the parking lot. When someone drives on the campus, a smiling face, and waving, and if it's raining, they got an umbrella, and they're going to help direct where they're looking for. If someone's like, you know, where's Rolling Hills Community Church? Definitely point them to the right worship center, or where Emmanuel is, or if they're like, it's my first time here, point them to Rolling Hills and get them up here. We want our parking team to do that. Our security team keeps us safe, but also helps direct traffic, that friendly face inside, because people are like, where's the bathrooms, or I don't, what stairwell am I looking for for this group, and then smiling face. Love, well, someday maybe the mask will be gone. You can smile with your eyes, okay? Well, smiling faces when people walk in, and the coffee team, and all that, so many other things. Worship arts, if you like working with computers, be one of these cool folks upstairs and help run all this kind of stuff and the sound and everything. It's amazing with that. Um, of course, a family ministry, got to make a plug for that. When I signed up to be the interim children's pastor, I was nervous. I was like, oh, are you serious? I got to work with all those kids and, and coordinate all that. But it has been amazing. We have a great team. We have great resources and a lot of fun. I actually grew younger working with the kids. I honestly, I think some of my gray went away, I think, or at least I like to think about that, because being loved on by the preschooler and the kids and having those games and then hearing their childlike faith and their prayers, so encouraging. And then community groups. If you are in a community group now, is the Lord calling you saying, you know what, I want to go and do, as my community group leader has been doing so well, I want to lead a group or I want to host a group. Let us know. Let us know in the back table there. Live your life on mission. Invest in others because so much has been invested in you, especially when you think about what Jesus has done for you and God investing in you. And I am so thankful for all who have invested in our student ministry. Today we are recognizing our high school seniors. They have been in mission with us, and we are sending them as a blessing on mission wherever they go. I hope some of them land here in Middle Tennessee. We don't want to see them go, especially one, but we want to be a blessing to them so our high school seniors will continue and be a blessing to others as we're going to be recognizing them here in a moment. But would you please pray with me as we pray about God's word here and the service that we had? Let's bow. Lord God, we thank you that Jesus truly is the true light that gives light to everyone 
he came into the world. And Jesus was in the world, and the world was actually made through Jesus, being your word, O Lord God. But even the world did not recognize the Creator when he walked among us. So we know at times, Lord, people won't recognize us. They won't understand why we're loving them. Jesus even came to his own, and he was rejected by them. Not everyone's going to accept our love or accept your word through us, Lord God. But we're so grateful that all who did receive him, and I hope everyone here in this room has received Jesus. To those who believed in the name of Jesus, that is his living for us and dying for us and rising for us, and that he is Lord, that you gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but truly born of you, born by your spirit, born by your will, born by your saving activity through Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from you, O Lord God, our Father, full of grace and truth. May we be sent on mission and let others know about the grace and the truth, and of your presence, Lord. And may we send our high school seniors a blessing and send them on mission, O Lord God. All in the name, the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date with what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.